Every spiritual tradition develops both an exoteric and an esoteric pathway. The exoteric or the outer path becomes necessary when the spiritual lineage begins to attract lower caliber intelligences who take for granted the egoic frame of reference and have great difficulty letting go of that. And so, therefore, they require a path that begins with accepting the assumption that your ego is real, you're a bodily being, you have to make effort to transform yourself, you have to go through all of these ascetic processes, you have to make sacrifices, you have to uh, grow up, you have to do all of these kinds of uh, processes of purification. And uh, this can take years and lifetimes because you're a sinner and you're impure and you have karma, etc., etc. This is the uh, pathway of illusion. And even though in this uh, external exoteric path it is claimed to the effect, seek and thou shalt find... The truth is, if you seek, you will not find. And those who recognize that their seeking just creates more seeking will eventually realize that they must leave behind the exoteric path that they may have become very attached to because it has all kinds of apparatuses you can enjoy, rituals and rosaries and candles you can light and masses you can attend and uh, moon dances and uh, ceremonies of all kinds and exotic substances you can take to alter your state of consciousness temporarily, etc., etc. You can do all kinds of things in the exoteric path and have a lot of fun. But what you won't achieve is liberation from the illusion because you are in effect making the choice to enjoy the illusion. Now, when someone gets serious and wants to get out of the illusion, they have to realize that it is an illusion. And once you realize that it is an illusion, then the portal to the esoteric, I won't even call it a pathway, because there is no path. It's simply a realization. It's instantaneous. Because the ego, being illusory, being unreal, does not exist. And therefore, whatever tendencies it has, whatever impurities, whatever narratives, whatever sins it has committed, whatever uh, its uh, signifiers are, whatever its uh, uh, self-image might be, it is simply a fantasy. It has no reality and therefore it cannot be an obstacle.
It does not pertain to you. It has nothing to do with the self. The ego's state is irrelevant. And it is when this is fully comprehended, because the ego itself cannot comprehend this. You see, this is the problem. This knowledge will slip away from it almost instantly, and you'll go away saying, what did he say? It was a nice sermon, but I didn't quite remember what he was talking about. Because the ego mind can't grasp it, it doesn't exist. It can't tolerate that kind of information. And so you can take notes for years writing down, ego does not exist. (laughs) But who's writing it down? It's the ego. And uh, the ego isn't going to stop believing in its existence. But the ego's pseudo-existence is not a problem when you realize you are not the ego. There is nothing to extract yourself from. There is no progress you have to make to be able to make the ego more discerning. It's never going to discern its illusory nature. And if you continue to believe in it and worship the ego, because that's really what it is, the exoteric path is a path of ego worship. And, and therefore it's no different than not being on a path. That's why uh, Trungpa called it spiritual materialism, right? Because you're assuming you're an ego who is a material being trying to become spiritual. But you've already defeated yourself in the very beginning by assuming materiality when it is matter itself that is the dream from which we must awaken. And so if you begin assuming that the state of consciousness of one being asleep is one's reality, then it's going to make it very difficult to awaken from a dream that you have now... uh, you have now asserted is reality. And so it must be recognized that the ego being only a fantasy of the mind that continues to propagate itself with words and images in the mind and actions that will be self-fulfilling justifications for belief in the ego, like see I'm a sinner, see how hard it is, see I fell back again, blah, 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 all of those self-defeating, sabotaging behaviors of the ego are specifically designed to keep you from being awakened. But when you ask yourself, what is real? What is real that does not change? What is real? Within the self, within the I. If it is not the words of the ego, if it is not the body identification, then what comes, and 
again, this is congruent with every spiritual tradition, is that there are three reals. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, for example, they will say that the Buddha nature comes in three forms. And they correspond to what we call real three, real two, and real one. The Dharmakaya is real three. The absolute, the emptiness that contains all but has no qualities, no attributes. The ego can't grok emptiness. Even though that emptiness is filled with infinite potentiality, it can't grok that. It's too much. It's overwhelming. So there's real two, which in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition is called the Sambhogakaya. This is the Buddha nature in its form of exquisite enjoyment of creative intelligence, of love, the divine love level of reality in which one dreams the world as infinitely beautiful. And it is perceived that way because it is real. And then you have real one, the nirmanakaya in the Tibetan Buddhist vocabulary. The Buddha as appearing as a bodily being, Shakyamuni, right, Gautama, or any manifestation of an avatar, any manifestation of a sage, but any sage will tell you, but I'm not the body, I'm not the nirmanakaya. Uh, maybe speaking through that, but that's the Buddha nature's portal into this plane of samsara. But the, what is speaking to you is, is an energy of love and of joy and of intelligence that comes from the dharmakaya, which is infinite and includes all of us as a single intelligence, because there are no differences, there are no separations. So when any sage comes to tell you is you are that, not that you should worship that or try to become that or emulate that or imitate God or try to become good and, uh, and, and eventually you'll be hit with the thunderbolt of illumination. No, not that. It is the you are already the dharmakaya that includes everything but has no qualities, no identity, no essence, no essence in the sense of any way of being that is palpable. But it has infinite potentiality of manifesting as essences, as flavors, as rasas, as exquisite enjoyments. And so the rainbow spectrum of chakras that gets projected into apparently the physical form, but actually we know into the consciousness in its seemingly manifest form, are those vortexes in which one is able to expand consciousness into a boundaryless condition. Because the ego is bound, it is contraction, it is the self-binding of infinity into the finite form. Okay, that is what it is, self-limitation of that which is unlimited. And then in the chakras you can dissolve those boundaries. 
But there are different ways of dissolving boundaries and some uh, actually are, are superior to others. You can be, uh, lose your boundaries in autism or psychosis. You can lose your boundaries in suicide and, and in despair in which you dissolve your consciousness into a malignant depersonalization. All of that can happen in chakra one. If you want to go back to the womb and dissolve into the uterine mother, and you'll find some way to do it with drugs, but that will provide some backlash and side effects you may not want. Or you can try to dissolve in a sexual encounter, dissolve your boundaries and the physicality of the other and the emotions and the powerful energies that will be aroused and released in such an event. But again, there'll be a backlash afterwards and a suffering and remorse and a recognition that, again, you created an attachment to limitation. Or you can dissolve your boundaries in fury and go berserk and temporarily think you're all-powerful and infinite. And, of course, you'll find yourself the next day probably in jail or dead, but you you will have a temporary experience of that boundarylessness. If you join the army, that's what they'll try to give you, and it it will they'll give you drugs to help you go berserk, and and jump out of the airplane and your parachute and hit the ground running with your rifle and and involved in combat in which you will have no ego temporarily and pay a huge price for it when your ego and its moral values reappear sometime later and produce post-traumatic stress. Or you can dissolve in divine love. And that's the preferable portal to the entrance into the infinite ways of dissolving into the transfinite, which is an infinity of infinities. And after divine love, you can dissolve into divine wisdom and have an infinity of, of, of conceptualizations of that which is indescribable that can get to ever more uh, subtle levels of the infinite dimensionality of God consciousness. And there's no end to it. You can lose yourself in chakra five and write a zillion books and never come to the end of what could be written about consciousness because it is endless and infinite in, in, its, in the gems of wisdom that it can reveal to a consciousness that focuses on it. But you can also go beyond that and dissolve into the chakra six, the agya chakra, the chakra of the luminous command of nature, the light that underlies and pervades and structures all appearing forms. And you can begin to gain those cities that have to do with overcoming the apparent laws of nature. Or you can go beyond that into chakra seven and dissolve entirely into God consciousness with no trace of any separate entity remaining and nothing to return to. And so you have your choice in this smorgasbord of salvation that you're offered in every possible way from the ego's bondages. 
but only a very discerning intelligence will know which vortex to dive into and will know who you are who has created all of these vortexes as opportunities to know the infinite self within a finite context. But can the knower ever know itself beyond all contexts? It is this ultimate real that is the one that transitions us from the jurisdiction of Vishnu to that of Shiva. And this is via the work of Brahma. And again, these three forms could be thought of, we could also say that from the pravriti to the nivriti, from the outgoing path of the extension, the res extensa, to the res cogitans, right? From, to use Descartes' uh, formula for it. To go from body to mind, to go from the world to the perceiver. But these two polarities of reality, subject-object, they remain polarities in a dance, Shiva and Shakti, until the ultimate unification, the realization that who you're dancing with are your own potentialities writ large. As options for becoming that were not chosen, but which are equally valid options, equally valid manifestations of God that appear in every possible form and many impossible forms. It is this richness of the infinity of form and formlessness that is a whole that cannot be gained through an effort of trying to master it from a finite level of intelligence. What must happen is the letting go and the dying of that finite identification. But who does this? The ego can't do it. No one can do it. Because there are no doers. There is only the dreamer of the dream. There is only Shiva. There is only Christ consciousness. There is only the Buddha nature. There is only the Tao. There is only the Wuji. Use whatever term you want. There's only Allah. It doesn't matter the term because no term can capture the real three that we're talking about, which you are. Not that you will become, not that you will one day realize, but that you are forever, always, because there is no time or space. That's part of the illusion. That's part of the manifest, phenomenal capturing of eternity as time. But time itself is just the moving image of the changeless eternal. And once that is grokked, then the moving image of yourself, which is the ego, as a body in motion in a world, will be let go of. And that frame of reference will no longer have any interest. But when it happens is when the Dharmakaya chooses it to happen. When Paramashiva chooses to unconceal itself from your apparently separate consciousness. 
It is not a choice then that you can make to become enlightened or realized because there is no you. The sense of there being a you is the obstacle to the enlightenment. Therefore, the only thing that can be done is the non-doing of the replication of the sense of becoming. The freeing consciousness from thought, because thought can only represent, it cannot be present. It is a representation. It is a step removed from reality. It is a reflection. It is a shadow of the real. And so we have to move from the mind shadow, the moon shadow, to the sun. We have to move from the, the loss of self, which is itself the magnetic power of attraction that produces chakra too, which is why that's the core of the ego. It's all about, it wants attraction of the other. It wants the gaze, it wants the power, but it wants it to come from outside to inward. But really, it's a, it's a way to avoid knowing that you are already the inward power that is projecting the outside. It is only your own reflection that you want to return to you. It is your own yo-yo that you've thrown out that comes back. But once that is recognized, there is no one to receive it in return. And there is no one out there to give you anything. It's that illusion of duality in which the truth is you are both polarities, not just one. And you are neither because you transcend both. But this can be realized only in the absence of thought, in the absence of action, in that glorious moment of surrender of consciousness to its own source. But again, that surrender is not an act that someone does. It is the absence of a someone and the presence of the real that is the infinite potentiality that we can call God or the self or Buddha nature or whatever we wish, but it's nameless, formless, infinite intelligence which comes with power, which comes with grace, which comes with beauty, joy, love, all of those describable attributes, but what it is, what the self is, is not describable, not knowable, not transmittable with any terms or images. It is this, this ultimate goal, this ultimate jewel, this ultimate treasure of consciousness that we are all seeking, that we can only attain when we allow the seeker to dissolve in the love of that self. And therefore it is love not as a devotion of one to another, but love in its purest sense. And the love that one can feel for another being in, in this world, within the realm of the ego, can offer a glimpse of that love because of the power of the energies that love releases even at the ego level. 
But the energies that are released are powerful because they don't come from the ego level. But once they're misidentified with the ego level and what you think you love is a bodily being, the energies are lost. And that's why love does not remain. And that's why because once it has been brought into the lower frequency of body consciousness, it becomes lust and then it becomes disdain because it cannot be sustained. It becomes repulsion, it turns into its opposite or it turns into a neutrality of an uncaring uh, episode of the past. It cannot retain presence, it cannot retain power so long as it is linked to and uh, and uh, projected toward a particular object. Because love is the refusal to objectify. It is the transcendence of both subject and object. But that transcendence, which is holy and sacred, must never then be projected upon a phenomenal relationality that is only its shadow, that is only its nirmanakaya that has allowed then the opening into the sacredness of the sambhogakaya and the dharmakaya. And once we understand that the ultimate source and containing vessel of all of this, of the beauty of love and, and the infinity of permutation of experience and of the apparent solidity of a material world, all emerges as a dream from within that emptiness that is filled with the potency of creative imagination, but does not itself get identified with any. Do we understand the meaning of freedom? And that freedom can produce a life of endless love and joy so long as you do not want to possess it for an individual self. And so the one sin that comes to interfere with God consciousness is possessiveness. And that possessiveness is always inevitably the longing for something you thought you possessed in the past. And that then keeps you from being present. And that keeps you from being real. And that keeps you from knowing who you are. And you can project the longing for an object you thought you had in the past into the future. I'll find that one again or I'll find the perfect mate that I never found or the perfect mother or the perfect whatever the night that will rescue me from my suffering, however you might formulate it in the fantasy of the ego, that is always a projection of the very self that you are into some mode of inaccessibility. And it is this self-torment that the ego is designed to continue to repeat. But it will do that only so long as it has a shelf life to do that. And in the present moment, the exhaustion of the ego's capacity even to formulate fantasies of that nature or to sustain them very long in time because of the ego's own inability for consistency of object constancy 
creates a situation where the fragmentation of consciousness produces a, an urgency to dissolve a collapsing and crumbling ego before one identifies with that crumbling and feels one is cracking up and falling into to madness. Because that's what's happening in the world. The crumbling and the cracking up is leading to physical symptoms of, of severe illness, mental illness, the crack up into suicidality, the crack up into uh, extreme planetary self-destructive imagery of apocalyptic nature and the destruction that Gaia herself, the mind of planetary consciousness, is enacting in this moment of transformation from one yuga to another, one cycle of time, one movement of consciousness from one eternity to another. And once we understand the meaning of the process of the world that we are involved in, but seeing it from real three, not within real one being shaken up by every earthquake, but from that place in which the birth pangs of a new divine order, a, a new uh, kingdom of heaven is being manifested, from that state, the stable energies, the scalar force of infinite consciousness produces an etheric matrix in which all of those elements of consciousness are magnetized into coherence. And once more, a world will be dreamed because of the power of God consciousness centering itself within the phenomenal plane and producing an energy field that is automatically magnetized in the direction of the highest truth and beauty. And it is that process in which you are now being carried to that highest level of being and you are simultaneously the doer who is dreaming it without action involved at all because everything real is instantaneous since there is no time or space. And it's in that immediacy of the real that liberation is encountered as your true nature. This cosmic process is underway within you. It shall be successful because God does not make mistakes. There is only the need to pay attention to the process. And liberation will be manifested in the explicate order as it is already real in the implicate.